Now, Sally Lucas, we do have a fairly important event coming our way next year. It's crept upon us, hasn't it, Jane? Only a year away and we're back to the Olympics again. Why, hey. So, Japan, here we come. Talking travel. Sally Lucas, off to Japan. Something a little bit exotic and oriental today. Exactly. And it's become quite the flavour of the month. You know, people that even didn't have it on their bucket list have thought, oh, I'll go to Japan and have just been blown away by the friendliness of the people. And of course, these days, um, in the old days, when I first started travel, it was considered one of the more expensive countries to go to. Whereas now, you know, there are still obviously some expenses involved, but it's certainly a lot less expensive than, than it used to be and far more affordable. So that all is all good. But I couldn't believe it when I thought that the Olympics next year, I thought, is it really three years since we had the last Olympics. So they're taking place from July 24 to August 9 next year. And of course, as we know, we've had the, the Rugby World Cup there as well, haven't we? And that's, I mean, mm-hmm. they, they like their sport in Japan. They and of course, like apart from sumo wrestling, everyone thinks it's that. But one of the big things they follow is baseball yes. as well. So they're very big into baseball. And I can remember we went to Vanuatu once. A guy owned a resort there and he was an American baseballer who'd ended up finishing his career in Japan, So, which was quite interesting as well. So, yeah, so they've got a new national stadium in Tokyo. And, of course, they've got aquatic events, gymnastics, tennis, equestrian and volleyball will all be held at a cluster of venues at Tokyo Bay. Um, the cycling is going to be held at the Izu Velodrome at Shizuoka. And this year, I think it's the first year for surfing too, but I'm not quite sure where that is being held as mm. part of the Olympics this year. So, I mean, we love aquatic events, of course. So, I mean, you'd need to get in early, I think. I'm not sure how it's going to get tickets for this, but apparently you can just go to olympics.com.au and you should be able to get some more information on how to obtain tickets, etc., etc. But I thought, well, we just talk a little about, I guess, what you can do in Tokyo. Also, again, as I've just mentioned, please book ahead and book in advance. And some of the museums there too, like the uh, um, the animated museum, the Ghibli Museum, you really need to, to book in advance so you don't miss out apparently. So book for the attraction. For the actual mm. uh, yeah, museum the itself because mm-hmm. apparently it can get quite busy. Um, and there's also things like to be respectful of, again, like you go to any country because Japan is very much about respect and respecting elders and respecting etiquette etc. So just always remember that. And you've always got your, your, your Japanese National Tourist Organization website to go on to, which is jnto.org.au for more information. It stands for Japan National, National Tourist, Tourist Organization. And of course, you've been there recently, Jane, too. It's been many years since I've been there. But they say now it's really a Tokyo for foodies, that you've got so much choice now for the myriad of different, well, not just Japanese cuisine, but they have now, you know, a high selection of French, Italian, Spanish, Korean, US, of course. And there's good foodie hubs in the Ginza area, of course. And they've even got a Michelin-starred restaurant now, and they say the raucous yakitori joints. So whether you went to one of those, Jane, I don't know. But Asakusa is a really interesting area where there's a temple and lots of foodie. It's an interesting area of Tokyo. I remember that quite well. But they also say, too, you can go to sort of basement-level food halls at major department stores and you can get a wonderful smorgasbord of a Japanese selection of foods there as well. Um, we've just mentioned sports fans, like we're saying, like there is, of course, we've mentioned the sumo. Um, now, if you want to uh, need to you know, get to a sumo event or watch, they do a training you can often go to. It's sumo.or.jp. 
And for baseball tickets, you can buy them at the stadium or you can go to uh, japanballtickets.com or for football, it's jleague.jp. So there's certainly different lovely websites for you to get if you're interested in specific events. Um, And, of course, you've got history in there as well. And it had an era called the Edo or Edo area, which is from around about 1603 for 250 years. They they ruled. And Edo was the original name for Tokyo. And Kyoto was the capital of Western Japan. And then they eventually, Tokyo was named from Edo. It became Tokyo. So it's got a lot of interesting history. And just north of, um, or northeast, or northwest, I think, northwest, I think, of Japan, there's a, a oh, suburb called... Tokyo. Of Tokyo, Japan. I meant Tokyo. You know what I'm saying, Jane. Uh, Kawagoe, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. And that's got a great lot of castle. The castle's still left there from that Edo period. And that's not far out of Tokyo if you want to do that. Uh, Another thing you can do, you could go down to the port of Yokohama for the day. You you hop on a bullet train and and get down to Nikko or somewhere like that. Um, Kamakura. So there's plenty to do there. Um, Also, the... um, you're not going to be there at cherry blossom time, but also at other times of the year, you have got your cherry blossoms, of course. You're going to be there in summer this time, so it won't be autumn or cherry blossoms, so you're missing out on that, but that's okay. They still have some lovely gardens and tea gardens that you can go to, uh, and also onsens, which are like your your spas, if you wanted to go to that. You know, there's a whole heap, or if you want to stay at the Ryokan style of accommodation, Japanese style. So there's, there's lots to do in Japan, and, you know, there's pl- it's quite close, I mean, there's to get to a lot of other areas and with the fast train service which is excellent and if you buy a japan rail pass you can get a seven day or a 14 day it'll give you a national pass or you can get localized ones for the different areas and you will then be able to use that on local buses and ferries as well so that gives you good transportation to get around japan as well so it's lots to look forward to for next year and it's not that far for us to go for a change you know for flying time time, and it's a very similar time zone so it's it's great which means we're going to be able to see more of the Olympics at home as well, even if we can't, you know, have the time to go up there ourselves. So just keep it in mind. But as I said, do think about your etiquette um, and lots of things they, they just don't do. Like they, they don't like to eat on the run or it's a, you sit down to eat or even to have a coffee. Like there are certain forms of etiquette and dress and being polite is all that main thing. The other thing, though, they're saying is there's an increasing number of shops in restaurants in Japan do accept credit cards, but it's still a largely cash-based society. Um, so the ATMs at 7-Elevens uh, apparently and post offices accept a lot of foreign cards, though. So just keep that in mind as well. We're talking travel. Sally Lucas, we promised mountains. Which mountains are we talking about? I don't think we can get much better than um, the Everest Mountains, or Mountain and its other mountains around it. So that wonderful range. And this was uh, an article in one of the travel magazines recently, and it started out with a quote that Edmund Hillary made, which I thought was quite... I hadn't heard it before, but maybe someone else has out there who who are real mountaineers or follow mountaineering. He said, Mount Everest, you beat me the first time, but I'll beat you the next time because you've grown all you are going to grow, but I'm still growing. Mm, that's a nice one. So they were the words of Sir Edmund Hillary before he became the first man to summit the world's tallest peak in 1953. And, of course, his remarks speak volumes about the lure of Everest that it has, which, you know, the last month, unfortunately, claimed 11 lives. And if anyone saw any of the footage, read news in the newspapers or saw it, you know, it was really quite astounding to see the queue. 
going up that Amazing. mountain. Yeah. And it was just, you're just a little bit horrified by the whole thing. I mean, it is 8,850 metres on the border of Nepal and Tibet in the Himalayan mountain range, and it is obviously an awesome natural wonder. But you don't have to reach the summit to enjoy it. But having said that, to reach the summit, normally it would cost you about 90000 minimum, plus you've got to acclimatise for a few months. So what they're worried about now is, of course, that there's so many trekking companies in Nepal now cutting corners, offering it cheaper and in less time, which means you're not getting as well acclimatised to cope for that. But you don't have to climb Everest. Like even my husband has done Everest Base Camp twice, and that's still a hard climb, and you still can get altitude sicknesses. And we can't prepare for that here because we don't have mountains anywhere near the equal. The hours are pimples yes. by comparison, really, if that's the only way you can put it. The other interesting, I had read this before, a bit of information, is that it's technically the world's highest peak, but Mauna Kea, the volcanic mountain that grew from the seabed on the big island of Hawaii, dwarfs Everest by more than a kilometre when measured from base to tip. Uh Change the... uh, Yeah, so that's interesting. Now, the best time for climbing for Everest summiteers is usually in their autumn, which is um, late September to late November, when the weather is mild and there's good visibility. And spring from February to mid-April is also a good time. Um, The other thing you can do too, even if you don't want to do a climb, I just did the Annapurna circuit many years ago when I did it and I saw um, Armadublum and the Annapurna and some of the mountains from that walk, but I couldn't see Everest. So then I just did a flight out of Kathmandu, which you can do, I did it with Buddha Air, and they go up one route and back another, so either side of the aircraft, everyone gets a good view of Everest and you're given a map and everything ex- is explained to you about the other mountains that you're going to see. So You're it, also in a pressurised cabin there too. That's right, you are in a pressurised cabin. So, But um, if you want to, for a cheaper view of Everest, you can head to a hillside village of Nagakot, which is just outside Kathmandu. And if it's a clear day, you'll be able to see it there as well. Um, Everest Base Camp, as I said, but that's still 5,360 metres and altitude sickness is common. Um, the trek, if you're flying in from Lukla, takes about 12 days. But our, our, my husband this year, or last year, sorry, they walked in and out to do a different route to avoid a busy route. So they took a little bit longer to acclimatise. They took a slower walk in and they were gone, you know, for three weeks. So it's really how much time you've got too. Um, it's a poor country, of course, and tourism is the biggest thing they have. And this is why all this is probably happening because it's seen as a money-making concern. But the Annapurnas are a most beautiful mountain range. They're, they're quite green, beautiful rhododendron forests, etc. Quite delightful. And you can also get down to Pokhara, which is right on the lake, which is a lovely uh, setting as well. So there are different ways you can view Everest, but just be careful with the companies you are dealing with. Make sure you research it because... You know, you like anything in life, you get what you pay for and you've really got to make sure you're giving yourself enough time to acclimatise. Even with the Annapurna circuit, for me, because I'm not a climber, but it was straight up from day one. Like There's nothing I could have done here that prepared me. I didn't realise that the steepness of even just doing the Annapurna range. So you really do have to do a bit of fitness training and make sure you are medically fit to attempt any of these things. A wonderful part of the world, but do it wisely. We're talking travel on to a new RFM. It's 27 past one, and it's time 
Sally Lucas, we look at the hot deals in the travel marketplace at the moment. We certainly do, Jane, and our little friends across the ditch will do a nice little New Zealand one, I thought. This is a 23-day Best of New Zealand by Coach and Cruise, so you're really doing it in a lovely way. So the tour actually features initially a 12-night ocean cruise combined with coach travel, and your highlights will include Milford, Doubtful and Dusky Sounds, the Bay of Islands. You go to a Hobbiton movie set tour, you do a Transalpine Railway, journey. It's just really a lovely, lovely holiday. If you book by 31 July, you can save up to $600, plus you get another bonus value of extras for up to US dollars 1670 It's a guaranteed departure on the 7th of February next year. So you're going to really enjoy the Celebrity Solstice on a 10-night cruise and then an 11-day coach tour of your attractions of New Zealand. So that is fabulous. It starts from under $7,500 for the whole 23 days, and most of your meals are included and just about all your seeing on that so it's it's pretty well all inclusive so that's really good deal uh aurora they've got at the moment welcoming solo travelers for a limited time they're offering a no single supplement on some select voyages so that's really great uh for example to give you an idea patagonia and the chilean fords uh, on the 2nd of april 2020 it's a 14-day itinerary Iceland and the Svalbard on the 12th of June, another 11-day one. The Iceland Circumnavigation on the 2nd of June. West Greenland Explorer, 18th of May next year. The Arctic Discovery, a 21-day itinerary, which is absolutely amazing, uh, doing the whole area, uh, 31 August next year. Then they're doing Inuit Arctic and Beyond, which takes in Reykjavik, Iceland to St John's in Canada in 23rd of September. All of those have no single supplement if you book by 30 June. Um, now, Northern Lights, everyone likes Northern European Lights. Well, I'm sure they would if they went, went to see them. Um, this is a 15-night fly-free cruise and stay, 12 to 27 July next year. So all these are giving you plenty of time to save and you get yourself organised for next year. So this is a return airfare to London, including return taxes. Your transfers are included. Two nights pre-cruise accommodation in a four-star hotel in Stockholm. Then you're doing an 11-night luxury Crystal Symphony cruise from Stockholm to Dover, which includes gratuities for everything on board, housekeeping, butler even, complimentary select wine, champagne, premium spirits, complimentary Wi-Fi, etc., etc., fitness and wellness program board, 24-hour room service, and then you get two nights post-accommodation in a five-star hotel hotel in London as well. So this is wonderful and this is normally it would be around about 10,000 uh, or rather around about 14,000 dollars. Yes, 15,000, but it's a saving bringing it down to just under 10,000 for that whole itinerary and that again is a very inclusive itinerary. And this is another one back in this same area. This is 6th of August next year. It's Greenland and Iceland package. Uh, This is with MSC Cruises. It's a 24-night holiday, including a 21-night cruise. So that's pretty good. I I think if it's in August or July, you probably wouldn't get any night time at all. (laughs) This is is definitely not a, a Northern Lights cruise. It's Northern European Nights rather than Northern European Lights. 
So the lights are early, usually between October and April, actually. That's when you'll be doing the lights. So this is doing the nights when you see it in all its glory and all the beautiful fjords, etc., etc. So this is what this one is about anyway. So this is a 24-night one with a 21-night cruise, as I said. Uh, you're flying into Denmark. You're having a, a couple of nights in Copenhagen at a four-star hotel. Then you're doing a 21-night cruise, which is doing just about, oh, as I said, all around Iceland, Greenland, etc. It's an incredible itinerary, even including one of Warnemund, is it, which is your port for Berlin in Germany. And then at the end, you come back with your airfare, which can be extended if you wish at the end. So it's a 24-night holiday. And that one actually starts from under $8,500 each. And lastly, not leastly, Trafalgar have announced their 2020 USA-Canada holiday program. And you can save 10% when you book on any of their American holiday tours, roughly just about all of them, um, as long as you book by right up to 18 December. So that's got a good lead in on that one. Fantastic. And and I just thought we'd finish with this little quote I read in the paper, and I agree with it wholeheartedly. It says, travel slowly is happy advice for any traveller. Travel is like a good meal. Savour it slowly and you'll magnify your enjoyment. See fewer places and make a three-night stay your minimum in any one place. I agree with that entirely. If you're planning to stay less, why bother to go there? (laughs) So Sounds there you good. go. I think that's pretty good advice, actually. <laughs> Thank you, Sally Lucas. Thanks, Jane. And we'll talk travel again uh, next Friday after the 1 o'clock news on 2NURFM. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.